In this inspirational sermon, we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, his call and preparation, and discover lessons on how God prepares us to fulfill His purposes. Why don't we just stand up to our feet and make our declaration this morning. So if you brought your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to stand up, hold your Bible in your hands. Let's say this together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please. Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 11 through 17. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. The Apostle Paul writes a little bit of his own story here, almost like a little bit of autobiography. He kind of plugs in as he gets ready to address issues at the church in Galatia. And this is what he writes. He says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came to the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach His name among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now I'll just read on in verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed, before God I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. Hearing only that he who formerly persecuted now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and the glorified God in me. This morning as we focus on the theme that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, and how we go about fulfilling God's dream for our lives, God's vision for our lives, 
I want us to look at the life of this man, Apostle Paul. Probably the greatest Christian, if you will, outside of Jesus Christ himself. A man so greatly used of God who wrote not only two-thirds of the New Testament, but shaped so much of what we know of the Christian church today. What was his life like? What was his call like? How did he go about fulfilling God's purpose for his life? And I just want to glean, want us to glean some lessons from him, from his life, as we learn how to go about fulfilling God's vision, God's purpose for our lives. Now many of you know the story of Saul, as he was initially called. He was born in a town called Tarsus, which was what we would call a cosmopolitan town where people from different parts of Asia came in there mainly for commerce. And so in his early days, he was exposed to peoples and languages and cultures of many different places. And that was a great thing in his life that he could at an early age be exposed to so much of different cultures, languages, peoples and traditions. And he then went into Jerusalem and was schooled under the tutorship of Gamaliel, who was at that time the best scholar of his day. And so Paul was schooled and trained and taught and educated in Judaism and in the traditions of his fathers. And he studied in depth and very thoroughly all of the Old Testament scriptures as they had it back then. And he was being trained to become a Pharisee. And so here was this young man who had devoted his life with so much passion to what he called the traditions and faith of his fathers. He was committed to it, sold out to it. And as he was being groomed to become a Pharisee, about the same time, now Paul was born probably 10 years after the Lord Jesus Christ. But during that same time, Right in his own backyard, right there in the city of Jerusalem, was another man, Jesus of Nazareth, who went about preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing the sick and casting out devils and raising the dead. And he was proclaiming a new faith. He was proclaiming something that Paul, that Saul could never agree with. I'm sure the Pharisees took note of it. They had him nailed to the cross, thinking that with his death, this movement would come to a natural death and would end by itself. Even Gamaliel, Paul's tutor, said, if you leave it alone, and if it's not of God, it will end by itself. But to their utter surprise, after the death of this man, Jesus Christ, this new movement began to spread even more uncontrollable, turning Jerusalem upside down. Because in a matter of days, there were more than 5,000 people pledging adherence and allegiance to this man, Jesus of Nazareth. They had never seen something like this before. No other phenomena like this, that in a few days, thousands of people will decide to follow Jesus of Nazareth. And as this news came to Saul, I could imagine Saul just saying, okay, I was born for this. 
This is why I have been tutored. This is why I have studied. I owe my all to this faith of my father's Judaism. How dared another religion step into my own city and in my own backyard grow so much? And so Paul said, I will, Saul said, I will take it on myself to wipe out this new religion. And so as he testifies himself, he said, I gave myself to destroying this faith. There is no count of how many people he killed. There is no record of how many homes he tore down. There is no record of how many people he had whipped and persecuted and tormented because they had pledged allegiance to Jesus. But Saul had made that his life's mission. To strangle this new religion by its throat and bring an end to it. And he was standing right there beside A man named Stephen. Stephen was just an ordinary servant in the church in Jerusalem serving food to all the people. But God was working through this man so powerfully. The Bible says that Stephen was a man full of faith and power and great signs and wonders and miracles were being done through him. And the news reached the council of elders in the temple. They said, bring this man here. But right there in the temple standing in front of all the Pharisees, Stephen stood up and gave testimony saying the Old Testament points to Jesus of Nazareth. And his preaching pricked their very hearts. And they said enough is enough. They handed him off to Saul. Saul dragged him out of the city. Put him at the city gates. Got a group of men to stone him to death. And Saul would have never imagined what he heard with his ears and saw with his eyes that that day. He heard this man Stephen say, Lord forgive them. And in his final moments, in his final breath, Stephen said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And I'm sure Saul never forgot that. But that made his blood boil even more. He went back to the Pharisees and said, give me letters. Give me authority that I will take my mission over to the next town called Damascus. And I want to wipe out all the Christians over there. And so here, having been authorized by the Pharisees, he goes on his mission to Damascus, not knowing what awaited him on that final journey of his life. As a Hebrew, as a Pharisee. On that road to Damascus, and you know the story. The Bible says a lightning from heaven struck Saul down. He was down on the ground, blinded. For the first time, he was knocked to the ground, face in the dust. No man dare do that to a Pharisee. But Saul was there. And he heard a voice coming out from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, I don't recognize this voice. They didn't talk about this. In all my education. So he said, who are you? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. It didn't take too long for Saul to realize that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is alive. It's real. Not someone to mess around. And that very moment Saul's immediate response is, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
in that moment, in an instant, this highly educated, highly equipped, highly trained, highly certified scholar of Judaism gives all of that up in one moment and shifts his allegiance from the tradition of his fathers to this Jesus of Nazareth whose voice he has heard only once. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? As Paul records it later in Acts 27 chapter, as he stood before King Agrippa, and this was several years down the road, towards the end of his ministry, he's brought before King Agrippa. And he stands there in that court of the king, and he says, Oh, king, you might think I am mad for what I have done to turn my back on the tradition of my fathers and to follow this faith of a man called Jesus of Nazareth, whom people say he was raised up from the dead. You might think I was mad, but oh, King Agrippa, on that day, as I was on that road, I heard the voice from heaven. And King Agrippa, I heard him say that I am his chosen vessel. And I'm going to bear his name before kings, before rulers. And I'm going to suffer great things for his name's sake. And oh, King Agrippa, let it be known to you that from that day, I was not ashamed of that call. And oh, King Agrippa, I have obeyed that heavenly vision. I have obeyed it, King. Doesn't matter if you think I'm mad. But I gave myself 100% to that heavenly vision. Now here's a beautiful thing. Paul writes in Galatians 1 in the passage we read. He says in verse 15. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. You know, this heavenly vision was not something God thought about. Suddenly for a man named Saul when he was about 33 years of age. No, it was a plan that God had from the time he was in his mother's womb. Amen. And this is the first point. God has a plan for each one of us. He has a plan, he has a dream, he has a destiny, he has a design for you. He designed you for a purpose. He has a heavenly vision for you. You're not an accident on the earth, you're never a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. Put your right hand up and say this with me. God has a dream for my life. I was made for God's purpose. God has a heavenly vision. God has a heavenly design for my life. And it was a design he had for you right from your mother's womb. As the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verses 14, 15, 16, 17, he writes, he says, Even when I was in my mother's womb, you knew my innermost parts. Your eyes knew my substance as it was being formed in my mother's womb. And in your book, all the days of my life were written even before there was one of them. Even before you took your first breath of air, all the days of your life were written in God's book. You are not an accident. You are here by design. 
You are God's dream waiting to be fulfilled here on earth. Think about this. When Saul was 33 years of age and after somewhere thereabouts and after he'd already killed so many Christians and torment, tortured many of them and on his way to Damascus to do some more damage. That is when Jesus appears to him. Saul could have said, God, you're a little too late. I mean, why didn't you strike me down when I was 10 years years of age? Why did you wait so long? Look at all the wasted time. Look at all the wrong I've done. Writing in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. I was the chief of sinners. Showing that he now so regretted what had happened the first 33 years of his life. He could have called it a big mistake. But that brings us to the second point. We've all, got, we've all made mistakes. We've all gone, the, gone down the wrong path at some time. But when God decides to touch your life and my life, at that moment, remember, God's bigger than all our mistakes. He's bigger than all the wasted years. He's bigger than all the regrets that you might have. Paul did regret all that he had done. But our mistakes are not bigger than God. God is greater than our mistakes. He's greater than all that we've done going down the wrong path, wasting our time, wasting our energies, our talents, our resources. Until we've had our Damascus Road encounter with God. He's bigger than all of that. He's able to do in a few years what may have normally taken many years to accomplish. He's able to restore time. Amen. So I want to encourage you and me as you look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Listen. God's never too late. It's never too late. For us to come face to face with the Lord and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? All these years I've been doing my own thing. I've been going my own way. I've been chasing my own dreams like chasing butterflies. I've been trying to climb my own mountains to reach pinnacles that I thought would give me happiness. I've been trying to go down my own way to, to accomplish things that would, I thought would give me fulfillment. But God, none of that matters now. What do you want me to do? We all need to come to that place where we say, God, I want to start living for your dream. I want to start living for your purpose. I want to start living for your design for my life. Amen. And when we come to that place, don't worry about the mistakes. You can't change them, but God is still greater than those mistakes. Don't worry about the wasted years. You can't recover it on your own. But God in his mighty power can empower you to do more with less than with all of that that has already been wasted. He can empower you to do it. Amen. So here is Saul. He gives his whole life over to Jesus and for that one purpose. Lord, what? do you want me to do? 
I want to live for your purpose. I want to live for your dream. The third thing we see in the life of the Apostle Paul is this. Once the Lord spoke to him at that encounter and said, Saul, I've made you a chosen vessel of mine. You're going to bear my name before leaders and kings and and you're going to do great things for my name's sake. What we see is this. God did not put him into the ministry the next day. The next thing we see in Saul's life is he spends the next three years. Everybody said three years. It's quite a long time. He spends the next three years in the deserts of Arabia and in Damascus, between those two places. Three years in the deserts of Arabia. I mean, if it was you and me, three years, man, we'd be on God TV. We'd have our own website, theroadtodamascus.org. And we would have photoshopped everything. I mean, you lying on the floor, a lightning from heaven. Maybe even made a movie out of it. My encounters with the Trinity or whatever. I don't know. We would have appeared on every TV show. God TV, TBN, CNN, everyone. To talk about this lightning bolt from heaven and what it felt like in that moment. And I'm sure we would have done all of that. But a huge fan following us on Facebook. Number of people signed up to receive our daily tweets on the lightnings of God. You know? I mean, I am sure we would have done all that in three years. Get the most mileage out of that encounter, man. Not so, Saul. Three years in the deserts. But I believe it was in those three years out there in the deserts that Saul had deep revelation and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. All of a sudden out there in the deserts, no man called Gamaliel was there. No other scholar was there to talk to Saul. He probably sat along with the, all the creeping things out there in the wilderness among all the, I don't know what, the birds, the beasts and The trees he's sitting up there in the deserts of Arabia. Whatever was there. But now, all of a sudden, he went back through all the Old Testament scriptures that he had studied. And through each and every Old Testament scripture, he could now see them all pointing to this Jesus. Now it all made sense. And that's why in his epistles... Paul so brilliantly brings out the Old Testament telling us that it is now pointing us to Jesus Christ, to the new covenant, to what God wants to reveal to us in and through the person of his son. I believe it all took place in the deserts of Arabia. Paul was one of those disciples who never met Jesus face to face. And yet he is the only disciple who writes about the last supper and tells us the spiritual meaning of it. And he says, I receive of the Lord that which he revealed to me. And he writes about the last supper and the meaning of it. And we read it almost each time we we partake of the Lord's table. 
But he was not there. He received it by revelation. It was probably during these three years in the deserts of Arabia that he was caught up into the third heavens, into paradise, and heard voices and things which he said it was, it is not even fit for a man to utter. A man, human voice could never utter these things. And he received revelation from, from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was able to write for us two-thirds of the New Testament, revealing to us the very heart and mind of God. Deserts. At the end of that three-year period, he visits Jerusalem for 15 days. But it seems like the apostles were still not convinced about his conversion. They hadn't seen it on God TV yet. So they were still not convinced that he had really been converted. So he got a few minutes with Peter, maybe a few minutes with John. And Barnabas had a distant glance at him and said, man, I think he's a good guy. But... I'll keep my distance. So it was only a 15 day visit to Jerusalem. And he had to come back. And the next 13 years. Everybody say 13 years. He was out there in Tarsus. And in a few other towns nearby. And there is no record of what he did. 13 years. The man to whom Jesus appeared, the man to whom Jesus said, you're a chosen vessel of mine, the man to whom Jesus said, you're going to bear my name before kings and rulers in authority, and yet it seemed like Jesus was neglecting him now for a total of 16 long years out there in Tarsus. The only line we have is Saul's own record in Galatians that people heard that he was preaching Jesus. That's the only thing we know. He never put up his website. Saul of Tarsus did not have his MP3 sermons online. No videos, no publications, nothing. 16 years gone after his conversion. There's a lesson for you and me. God reveals his plan, his purpose for you and me. But for all of us, there is a process of preparation. Amen. We must all go through our time of preparation. Preparation time is never wasted time. And remember, the greater the call, the greater the preparation. Put your right hand up and say this with me. Preparation time is never wasted time. The greater the call, the greater the preparation. So Saul went through it. I mean, he could have had his arguments with God. God, three years was enough. I mean, I'm bursting with revelation. I'm sure even Apostle Peter didn't visit heaven. I've been there already several times. I mean, I'm sure I have more revelation than Peter. Peter attests to the fact because Peter in his own epistle says, our brother Paul, he writes things which are hard for me to understand. Even Peter did not understand Paul's revelations. 
And yet God kept him in a place of obscurity for a total of 16 years. Listen, God knows exactly when and how long, how, how much of preparation you and I need. All God requires of us is that during those silent years, during those years of preparation, be faithful in what God has given you to do at that moment. Just be faithful in it. Inside you is a big heavenly vision. But on the outside, you're just doing something small. Just being faithful. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Inside you, you're busting with a heavenly vision. You're saying, man, I heard the voice of Jesus. He told me I'm a chosen vessel. He told me I have to meet kings. Man, I'm not meeting anybody except the beggars. What's happening? Listen, be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. How long? I don't know. Until the preparation is over. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. Amen. What do we see happen next? It's in Acts chapter 11. The believers now are scattered out of Jerusalem. This is about 12 years after the day of Pentecost. The believers are scattered out of Jerusalem. Some of them go as far as Antioch in Asia. And uh, they establish a church there. It's Acts chapter 11. And the news gets back to the apostles in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas over to Antioch saying Barnabas you've been with us a long time now go over there go to Antioch and nurture that church there so Barnabas comes to this newfound church just a handful of believers and he begins to disciple them and as he's beginning to carry out his work of discipling these new believers in the church in Antioch God says hey Barnabas Go looking for Saul. Go look for? Barnabas says, Lord, I don't have his mobile number. I forgot to take it down. <laughs> I didn't get his business card. He didn't have one. Just living in the desert. So he didn't have an address. I don't know how he did it. Maybe he looked, from, looked him up on Google. Did his Facebook pay. I don't know what. But Barnabas goes over to Saul and he looks for, he goes over to Tarsus and he looks for Saul. He finds Saul in Tarsus and he brings him to Antioch. And the two of them work together to disciple the church. Here's the point. At the right time, God will send the Barnabas into your life. To bring you out of obscurity into visibility. God knows when to do it. God knows whom to use in your life. And God knows how to do it. Just be patient. Too many of us are saying, man, I wish pastor knew how many sermons have God done. Why doesn't he call me to preach? We are impatient. But listen, God knows how to get you, how and when to get you out of your time of in obscurity into your ministry in visibility. Meaning he knows when to cause the transition into your final assignments. Your life assignments. He knows when to do it. Everything else prior to that is part of your preparation. You may be working in some organization and, and just working, you're just being faithful, doing what you have to do and maybe 16 years have gone and you've been faithful, you're growing professionally and you're saying, God, when will I do that thing that really is going to matter for the kingdom of God? Listen, every day counts, every year counts. God is preparing you and it's all going to add up for your life assignments. 
And you can have a major impact for the kingdom of God. So don't neglect each one of those moments and each one of those days and each one of those years in your time of preparation. It all matters. But stay there until God sends the Barnabas. Until God opens up the door of opportunity for you to come out of obscurity into visibility. Until God opens that door for you to come out of uh, Tarsus to come into your Antioch. Be patient. Amen. He must be patient. So here comes Saul along with Barnabas. For one year they served together in the church in Antioch. Maybe they have worked together now. The church in Antioch maybe two or three years old. But what do we see? We see that the church in Antioch outdoes the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem took 12 years to send out its first missionaries. And they were forced to send them out because of persecution. But what happened to the church in Antioch? Within two, maximum three years. Acts 13 verse 1, it says, Now in the church with Antioch were prophets and teachers. Meaning, within a period of two to three years, they had already groomed prophets and teachers among them. That is very good for a church. Amen? I mean, here at APC, I think we've only done 13 years and we're waiting for the prophets and teachers, you know. People rise, and then God is raising up, but they did it in two or three years max. And they were ready to send their leaders out. Many times I think, man, I wonder when I can just hand this off and go. You know, don't, don't, don't get scared. You know, I'm saying, is there anyone I can hand this off to and leave? They got, they were able to do that in three years, because the Holy Spirit said. Separate me Saul and Barnabas for the work I have. Saul and Barnabas were the main leaders. And the Holy Spirit said, I've got a bigger work for them outside of Antioch. Send them out. And that church didn't close up. Because there were already prophets and teachers raised up in that church. I mean, this is really good for a church. To reach that stature within two or three years. And here's what I want to say. I believe a, a major part of it had to do because of the presence of Saul. God had now prepared him for 16 years. And he could pour out. And the church just flourished. Amen. And Saul begins his missionary journey. His first missionary journey. Acts 13. Along with Barnabas. And there, for the first time, Acts 13, he has the opportunity to stand before a governor and proclaim Jesus on his first missionary journey. And it was there later on in Acts 14 that for the first time, the Bible records, now the apostles, Acts 14, 14. For the first time, the Bible says, now the apostles, Barnabas and Saul. Acts 14, 14. 17 years after his encounter with Jesus, he is now called the apostle Saul. First time. 17 years before he actually stepped in to God's dream for his life. I have made you, I've called you, a chosen vessel, an apostle. But it took 17 years. 
Amen. God knows the right time to release you into your assignment and to that which he has planned for you. But you and I must press into it. I want to close with two verses of scripture from the writings of the Apostle Paul. If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, please. Paul writes to the Philippians. And again, this is towards the latter part of his life and ministry. And he says this in verse 12. Philippians 3. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus has laid a hold of me. He said, I am pressing on. Some versions would say, I am straining towards. I am reaching for. It's full of energy. I am pressing on. I am straining. I am putting in all that I have to lay a hold of that for which Jesus laid a hold of me. I want to tell you, if you want to live your own life, it's the easiest thing to do. But if you want to live your life for that which God has designed you for, if you want to live a life that, 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 that is fulfilling that for which Jesus laid a hold of you, there, is, there has to be, I am pressing on. There has to be a pressing in. There has to be a straining towards. There has to be an engagement of your strength, your energy, your focus, your determination, your commitment. You've got to put it all together in and focus on it and go after it. Amen? See, it's easy at that moment of encounter to say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? But what really counts is what do you do when the rubber meets the road? What do you do tomorrow morning when you go to your school, your college, your place of work, your home, your neighborhood? Are you still true to the call of God? Are you still pursuing that heavenly vision? Are you still living for what God wants for your life? Or are you just chasing pretty rainbows? It all matters. And the rubber meets the roads. Paul said, I am straining towards that for which Jesus laid a hold of. Meaning, I am putting all my energy into this. That I'm living for that for which Jesus laid a hold of me. God has an assignment for each one of us sitting here. None of you, none of us are an accident. The question is, are you willing to press in? For that for which Jesus laid a hold of you. Are you willing to do that? Paul's ministry was not easy. You know it. He writes in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, you know, I, I endured shipwrecks so many times. Many nights I fasted. Not because I wanted to. Because there was no food to eat. Thrice I was whipped with 39 stripes. I was stoned to death and left as dead. It was not an easy call. Not an easy life. But we're here because somebody like Saul or Paul served God with his whole life. Even the devil didn't give it easy for him. Saul writes, there was a messenger of Satan who was buffeting me, coming against me over and over and over again. 
trying to hinder me, obstruct my ministry. And for this I prayed to the Lord three times saying, Lord, do something about him. And God said, Saul, chill man, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Just keep going. I'll empower you to overcome. So what if the devil obstructs you? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Keep going. Keep going, Saul. Don't give up. So it was not an easy road for Saul. But he pressed in. He pressed in for the purpose of God for his life. So that at the end of it, he would write in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he would write and he says, you know, I'm now at the end of my days. I'm ready to be offered up unto God as a sacrifice. But he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Meaning, hey, I've finished it. Whatever he wanted me to do, I've completed it. I'm ready to go home. What a nice way to end your life. The second passage I want to read and close with is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 14 and 15. Paul says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if, we, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should, no, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. If he died for all, then we consider all our, all our lives as dead. We're not living for ourselves. He died for all, so that we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Who loved us and gave himself for us. That we no longer should live for ourselves. I began to think about our church here in Bangalore. I said, you know, what about our church in Bangalore? What is that one dangerous trap in which we could fall into as a church? And the thing that came quickly to my mind. Was we could end up being consumers and not producers. We live in a city and a time when consumerism dominates everything. I'm not saying don't grow, go to the grocery shop. I'm not saying don't buy nice things. I mean, do what you want, what you need to. But the underlying Motivation is, do I like it? And if you're not careful, we, we will carry that same thing into the church. Did I like the sermon? Did I like the worship? Do I feel loved in this church? Consumerism. Don't get me wrong. You need to have good teaching. For what purpose? Not to make you feel good. Not even to make you feel good about your spiritual life. But you need good teaching. So that you are equipped 
to go out to the world and make a difference. Meaning you are equipped to go be a producer for the kingdom of God. Don't get me wrong, we need good worship. Why? Not that you could feel nice that you worship God. We need good worship so that we give him what he deserves. And in the process, because we worship him, we are changed. But the focus is not about whether I enjoy the worship. The focus is, did I give him what he deserves? The best. That's why we need good worship. We need to be loved and cared for. Not because I need to meet my emotional needs. But simply because all of us at some time need help. And strength and support. But we are helped. Not so that we could be perpetual parasites. But we are helped in our time of need. So that we, we can stand up and help others. Amen. I know we're not there as a church. Don't get me wrong. But it's a trap we could fall into. Where we're all consumers of spiritual things. And not producers. We might as well close church and stay home. But the reason we come to receive the word of God. The reason we come to worship. The reason we come to fellowship. Is so that we could go out there. And be salt and light in this world. The day we fail affecting our world. The day we fail being salt and light out in the marketplace. Touching lives. uh, Winning souls and impacting lives. Discipling people. You know our Christianity is a waste. The only reason God has kept us here on earth. And not taken us into heaven. Is very obvious. We have some work to do here on earth. Otherwise, we'd all, he'd have packed us all up into heaven. Get saved. No. He's keeping us here on earth for a purpose. We have some work to do. But if we're not doing that work, we are really wasting our time. Amen? So the purpose of the church, the purpose of teaching and ministry, the purpose of worship, the purpose of fellowship is so that we could fulfill our assignment here, which is be salt and light in the world. Win souls, make disciples, that's all it is. Don't make it complicated. If we aren't winning souls, if we aren't making disciples, we're wasting our time. Amen? So it means, in order to avoid that trap of consumerism, all of us must be pursuing God's purpose for our lives. Living for that. God, I'm here for only one reason. I no longer live for myself, but I live for you. What do you want me to do? And I'm willing to journey with you through the preparation, through the time of training, through the time of equipping, through the time of doing small things, until you release me into that assignment, Lord. And I will be faithful to you through to the completion of that assignment. Amen. This morning, I just want to encourage you and me, please, to to do what Saul did on that road. He asked the Lord one question. Lord, what do you want me to do?
Meaning, I'm exchanging my dreams, Lord. I'm living my dreams for your dream. My own pursuits, Lord, to pursue what you designed me for. How can I be salt and light in this world for your kingdom? What is that thing you want me to do for your kingdom, God? Would you prepare me for it? Would you use me for it, oh God, here on earth? If we as a church, even as many as we are here this morning, if all of us just give ourselves to that, I tell you, we can change our city. Just all of us. Jesus began with just 120 people and look what's happened to the world today. How the gospel has spread all across our Across the lands. If God can begin with each one of us standing here. Just sold out to his call. Just sold out to his purpose and saying. I no longer live for myself. But I live for him who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm living only for one reason. That is his purpose for my life. I'm willing to journey with him. I'm willing to press in. I'm willing to walk with him. I tell you our city will be so affected. So impacted because each one of us dared to give ourselves over to his call, his purpose, his plan, his dream for our lives. So all I want to ask you and me to do this morning is to say yes to his call. To say yes to his dream. To say yes to his plan. To say yes to his purpose. I know many of us in this room have already done that. We are on our journey. And that is commendable. That's great. Just keep going. Don't let anything stop you from pressing in to that for which Jesus laid a hold of you. Avoid every distraction. Refuse every detour. Stay focused on what he has put in your life and into your hands. But some of us here this morning may need to begin that journey. Time has gone by so quickly. Years have been wasted. But this morning, some of us need to say, Lord, I'm here to do what you want me to do for my life. Never mind the wasted years. Never mind it. What has been lost? God is bigger than all of that. If, you could, if he could do it in Saul's life, I know he can do it in your life and mine. Then no matter how wrong we've been, whether we've been a blasphemer, a persecutor, or whatever else, if we like Saul will say, Lord, tell me what do you want me to do? I believe he can make something beautiful out of each of our lives. As we journey with him, he can do it. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Is anyone here this morning who says, I want to begin my life journeying with God into His purpose for me.
I want to begin that this moment. I want to begin that this morning. And I'm making a, a prayer between me and the Lord Jesus. That I'm telling him, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm surrendering my dreams for his dreams. I'm yielding my plans for his plans. And I'm here at that moment. If there's anyone here this morning and you want to pray that prayer of surrender, you want to pray that prayer where you say yes to Jesus. Just lift your hand up and say yes. Lord, I'm doing that this morning. I'm doing that this moment. Not my dreams, not my plans, but yours, oh God. And I see these hands. Thank you. Father, we thank you for this moment, a very special moment. In the lives of people standing here who are saying to you, Lord. Not my dreams, but your dream. The purpose with which you formed me in my mother's womb. For which you called me, Lord. I'm saying yes to that. Holy Spirit, I invite you just to come and mark each one of these people who are praying that prayer or making that commitment in their depths of their hearts that from this day you will speak to them. You will take them through their season of revealing your plan of preparing them for your purpose and God of releasing them into their destiny and showing them how they can make their life count for the kingdom of God. Do this, O oh God. Do this, O oh God. Do this, oh God. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. And Father, we just pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you'll make us a body, a church of history makers, oh God. That each and every one of us, from the least to the greatest, from the youngest to the oldest, will be empowered by God to make history in our city, in our nation, and even in the nations of this world. That you will use us, oh God, in places where it matters most. In the slums, in schools, in colleges, in hospitals, in corporate offices, in government institutions, in the courtrooms, and everywhere else where the name of Jesus must be born, witnessed to. Use us, O oh God. And through our lives we pray that the kingdom of heaven will come. That it will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, O oh God. That in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, we will be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Then our city will be changed. Our nation will be affected. Because we are a people who are sold out to you. And Lord, I pray this prayer for each one of us here. Regardless of how broken we are today. Regardless of how, how insignificant we may be. Regardless of how weak we may be, make each one of us history makers for your kingdom. And 
Father, we give you thanks for doing this. We give you thanks, O oh God. Let a fire be released in our hearts today. Let a passion be kindled in our spirits today, O oh God. Like Paul, we would say, I live no longer for myself, but for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm sold and I'm sold out. We thank you, O oh God. In Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go be a history maker. Don't forget Paul. He gave us all. It's our turn. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.